Hi, and welcome to another episode of SwitchCast, a podcast delving into the world of film brought to you by the team at Switch. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Charlie David Page. I'm Jess Fenton. I'm Brent Davidson. And I'm Chris Edwards. It's Thursday, the 12th of October, 2017. On this week's show, could Netflix win the Oscar for Best Picture? This is the first year the streaming service is making a serious push for the Academy Awards, and we'll find out what's eligible to be in the running. Plus, I review not one, but two films about OCD. And as always, all our reviews and giveaways. Let's get straight into it with The Mountain Between Us. Chris caught this disaster romance, so did it have you singing from the hilltops? Not so much, no. The Mountain Between Us is one of the few films to fall under the disaster romance genre, but really only one of those words is necessary to describe this ill-conceived, uninteresting, laughably bad disaster of a film. In it, Kate Winslet and Idris Elba star as Ben and Alex, the mildly horny survivors of a plane crash who must work together to make it through a perilous journey down from a remote mountaintop, fighting through the elements and their mutual desire for each other's sweaty, injured bodies. Alex, can you look at me? You really hurt your leg. Your phone's smashed. My phone has no signal and we're pretty high up on the mountain. If we stay here, we're safe. If we leave search and rescue, they're less likely to find us. Look, I don't want to die up here because you're too scared to take a risk. Someone's looking for us. The pilot didn't file a flight plan. Nobody knows where we are. We're all we've got, me and you. We can go three weeks without food, three days without water, and three hours without shelter. We might die together. I don't even know you. Yeah, this film is bad. Making Will They or Won't They Survive (laughs) into Will They or Won't They Fuck, what could have been an interesting, hard-hitting survival drama filmed entirely on location, instead becomes no more than a shitty Nicholas Sparks meets Alive piece of dramatically inert trash. The two stars try valiantly to add credibility to a wildly literal and cliche-laden script, but director Hania Buasad is woefully incapable of scrounging even the tiniest scrap of actual tension or believability out of this. But hey, the dog is fantastic, doesn't die, and is just generally a very good boy. But even so, I'm giving this one two stars. I have never wanted to see a movie more (laughs) based on a review. No! (laughs) I'm sorry, but this film sounds like it has everything, including, I'm pretty sure I may have been hearing things, but did you just refer to one of the stars as the Idris Elba? (laughs) We should have said Kate Winslet and the Idris Elba, (laughs) which I loved even more. And as an added bonus, it's got a dog that survived. So I'm like, I'm all over this like a rash. I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Two stars be damned. I mean, hey, if you heard the Idris Elba, then yeah, this film is for you. <laughs> I'm so in. Sign me up. Take my 20 bucks. I don't care. I mean, hey, honestly, it was pretty entertaining. I had a fun time, but not in the way that the movie wanted me to. Yeah. <laughs> and are there no, honestly, no other disaster romance movies? I'm Titanic, starring Kate Winslet again. I said Hello. One like She's the a definitive disaster romance. romance. I know, yeah. and I love Titanic. Honestly, one of like the films from my childhood. But this, oof, it yeah. is 
nowhere near as good as Titanic. And if you think Titanic has a bad script, <laughs> which it kind of does. I'd rather be his whore than your wife. Like, has awful dialogue, then uh, just wait till you see The Mountain Between Us, where a neurosurgeon dismisses, like, feelings and love by saying, the heart is just a muscle. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my so it's God. Really, I'm it's done. really one of those. <laughs> I'm still in. I'm still oh. in. <laughs> and it's repeated Jesus. multiple times throughout the film. Because, you know, he's controlling and needs to let, learn to let go and she follows her instincts and her gut, but needs to learn a bit of control. So they help each other. No, I'm more interested to see how two people can get it on in that, like, frigidly freezing conditions. Where there's a will, there's a way, Jess. Well, I suppose they have to, they have to, they have to huddle together for, like, warmth and survival, right? Yeah, let, let's, let's Naked. keep warm. It's all in the name of science and survival. Look, like, we can do each other off. just to stay with alive. With the dog. With the dog in between. <laughs> oh, okay. And the dog's just watching. Come on. <laughs> why is there a dog? I don't know. Is but No, it's not dog? why is there a dog. It's thank God there's a dog. Because it gives something good <laughs> to the film. <laughs> Is the is the dog like a famous dog actor that is also trapped in the airport? Yeah, and then yeah. like, because isn't the whole premise that they're like they need to get on a plane and they buy a private jet or something dumb, and then there's a dog or whatever? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then there's a dog. It's a famous dog. It's the dog from the artist making its big. And then they comeback. watch alive and arrive at their destination. Yeah, and also through this whole experience, how do they not eat the dog for survival? Well, that is explained away. They do have other sources of food. Thank God. <laughs> because Thank the God. heart is just a muscle. Because the heart is just a muscle. Right? Don't, Don't forget. Never forget. Yeah. Plus, you'd be killing off a third of the cast. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, that's keeping the overheads nice and low. Also, it is one of the cutest, most adorable <laughs> dogs. Like, if they ate the dog, this film what? would die. What breed of dog is it? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a Labrador. Like a golden retriever, a Labrador or something, right? It's beautiful. Oh, a big dog. Okay. Smart dog. Yeah. Big, beautiful, golden smart But wait, dog. do they... Oh, do they eat the pilot? No. <laughs> Why is oh. this review turning into just... But what do they eat? Who do they eat? <laughs> what do they eat? Besides Idris Elba's dick. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a meal for like a week. <laughs> What's on the menu tonight? BBC. Order. They may not eat the dog, oh, but shit. they do eat each other. <laughs> also gross. Like, can you imagine that though? You've been walking down a mountain, sweating your guts out. Oh my out, God. And then suddenly you want to have Hank. Literally the only thing I was thinking, because, you know, spoiler alert. Yeah, they have sex. But like, <laughs> that is the only thing I could think about during that entire scene. It's this like soft core porny thing. Oh, a shoulder. Oh, a nipple. But, like, all I could think of is, don't you stink? Also, how are you awake? Yeah. Kate Winslet is severely injured, supposedly, for the whole thing. And it's like, how do you not have the energy to walk 100 metres, but you can have sex with Idris Elba? I mean, that's understandable, actually. There's a will, there's a way. (laughs) And there must be, like, so much going on down there. It must be gross. Yuck. Sweaty, sweaty vagina, smeggy dick. Like, no one wants it. 
I probably said something that will. <laughs> I, I probably said something that will not get in the podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, sweaty <laughs> Do you need clarification on Smeggy Dick? Kids, please do not ask your parents what Smeggy Dick Siri, is. Siri, please define Smeggy Dick. Hey Siri. Actually, actually, I need to t- I need to tell you this story oh right god. now. It's very relevant. Oh god. I once played Cards Against Humanity with my mum and my best friend's partner's mum and my best friend and her partner. And Oh my god, there was a moment where I had to explain to the room about what Smegma was. And then for the rest of the night, the two mums just kept on being like, well, you know, it could be Smegma. And it was just like, oh my god. Wow. But if you ever if you ever need a good time, play Cards Against Humanity with a couple of, like, parents and get a little bit Oh my drunk. god, can confirm. Wow. So I've done that. <laughs> my mum got very targeted so and waited until it was my turn to use like yeah, a gay bashing oh, one and I was like wow wow oh, oh my <laughs> you god win. she was great well she's gonna survive walking down the mountain <laughs> uh so yeah oh my god in summary <laughs> in summary dog smeggy dick Erotic shoulder. This is the first of like six reviews, people. What are we doing? (laughs) And we've already gotten to Smeggy Dick. (laughs) We're starting out strong. I (laughs) can't believe I said it. Uh, I wish you wouldn't. Oh, God, if my parents listen to this podcast. (laughs) Yes. Keep it in. Keep it in. So yeah, the mountain between us. Oh if God. you want to laugh at a really, really ill-conceived bad film, go for it. But if you want something actually good, maybe wait for something later in the podcast. But in any case, you can find my full review at maketheswitch.com.au and The Mountain Between Us is in cinemas now. Also out today is this beautiful fantastic. Jess took this one in, so did you get swept up in the magic? Magic? No. This film is at best a poor excuse for a balloon animal. Set in a small English town, librarian Bella Brown, played by Jessica Brown Finlay, suffers from mild OCD and a strong fear slash hatred of nature. When her lease is threatened due to her cantankerous neighbour's offence to her woefully neglected and overgrown garden, she's given one month to turn things around or she out. With the unlikely help of her neighbour, a new friendship with her neighbour's cook, and a budding romance with a local inventor for inspiration, this seemingly impossible task might just be possible. The true gardener can create more happiness propagating life from one seed than the rich man could ever get from his perfect rolling lawns. had a passion for life and I see the seeds of that in you when was the last time you were hooked? it's been a while and that's it for now but I'd like to know what happens next defies gravity with beauty destroys logic with emotion Thank you. Pleasure, Miss Brown, is all mine. Everything in this beautiful fantastic is very sweet, 
Very convenient, very cliche, and very British. Every little twist and turn is so predictable and easy, despite its perceived level of difficulty and ridiculousness. This is being called a modern day fairy tale with a horticultural metaphor. So if that appeals to you, then by all means. But if it doesn't, then like me, you may only give this one two stars. Uh, A horticultural metaphor of a bush that needs trimming? Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) What a metaphor Um, yeah We've set the bar real high today (laughs) Real high No, it's supposed to be about like Clearing away the undergrowth Growing and nurture and letting light in and life and colour and blah 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 And it's just Pruning the roses The best part of this film is Andrew Scott who plays a cook uh, for those of you not in the know, Andrew Scott is better known from uh, the BBC series Sherlock. Andrew Scott is also great in uh, Handsome Devil too. I really, I really yes. like him. Oh, he's brilliant in everything. I got a bit obsessed with he him for, for a little while, and he was the background on my phone at one stage. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. best Moriarty. So yeah, he's the best thing, and he's he's a you know a secondary character, but he's there, and he's he's the only reason worth watching this film. It's yeah, it's very <laughs> it's very sweet and innocent, and like I said, very British, and I'm sure it'll it'll appeal to someone. Probably my grandma. <laughs> sound very confident about that. Exactly. Hey, grandma. Um, so you can catch my full review at makethe-switch.com.au and this beautiful fantastic is in cinemas now. Also out today is Good Time, starring Robert Pattinson. Chris took a bite out of this one, so did you have as much fun as the title suggests? Oh, Charlie, you bet your sweet ass I did. Coming <laughs> as the third feature from Josh and Benny Safty, Good Time is a gloriously unhinged ride through a night in the life of Robert Pattinson's Connie, a low-rent bank robber who pulls heists with his device developmentally disabled brother, Nick, played by Benny Safdie himself. After a job gone particularly wrong, Nick ends up in jail and Connie on the run, desperately trying to raise his brother's bail money by any means necessary. Percy, I gotta come clean with you about something. What? So I told you about my brother, yeah? I told you about the program he's forced to attend and how he shouldn't be there. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Do you understand that? No. Something happened. I don't know exactly what. My brother's been arrested. He's being held at Rikers Island. He could get killed in there. Sorry, I just have a client that walked in. We're good? You get another 10 grand, your brother will get out. Where are you? How much money can you get right now? Come on, bro. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? What do you think I'm doing this for? I want to get him out tonight. Before. Is your brother okay? Listen, I want you to come with me. Now you are gonna love it. This place where we are now can be a lot of fun if you let it. You're gonna have a good time. What struck me most about this film is the way that it so perfectly acts as an extension of its central figure, convincing you that it's not just about him, but kind of is him. It's just as nervy, jittery, exhausting, and exhilarating as Pattinson's strung-out performance, as the editing and cinematography gets you in a vice-like grip from minute one. 
And though he is charismatic and vulnerable, the Safties never let you forget the real damage that Pattinson's Connie is inflicting upon anyone and everyone who gets sucked into his mission. There's an underlying humanism to the Safties' work, and it shines through in the film's final moments. I'm giving it four stars. I'm sorry, I'm trying to wrap my head around the idea that a film starring Robert Pattinson just got four stars, because in my opinion, and from what I've seen of him so far, he is an atrocious actor and makes terrible choices in his films. Yeah, Lost City of Z was a fizzer. Lost City of Z is great, and Robert Pattinson is very good in it. Thank you very much. Lost City of Z was boring as. No, it was beautiful. Anyway, Anyway, this film is great, and Robert Pattinson is, like, fucking amazing in it. If you had told me ten years ago, or five years ago, that the two stars of the Twilight series would be some of the best and most exciting actors of their generation, I would have laughed in your face. But it's true. Like... Both Robert Pattinson no. and Kristen Stewart are making consistently some of the most interesting choices in their mm. careers. That Chanel ad is really good. <laughs> exactly. That Chanel ad. Exactly. She, looks, she looks like she's running around covered in toilet paper. Mm, but she keeps running, running, <laughs> running, as Beyonce says. It's great. <laughs> that is so true. No, I, I just, I truly despise Kristen Stewart and I'm, I can't. I just, I can't, I can't wrap my head around this Robert Pattinson being a good actor. It just makes, it does not, does not compute. <laughs> Wasn't he quite good in Water for Elephants? Yeah, he's come a long way since Twilight. I mean, yeah, he had uh, Water for Elephants. Uh, he was also in Bellamy, mixed reviews for Wait, he was in Bellamy? Cosmopolis. Oh, I'm thinking of the wrong thing. No, not the gay porn. <laughs> it's a film. Uh, let's not forget his crowning glory in the Harry Potter franchise, please. So true. You can't be in just one fantasy franchise. You've got to be in two. And and Brent, of course, he was in that fantastic film that you loved of James Dean's. Oh, it was uh, so boring. Oh, did that film actually come out? That was so weird. It got filmed like three years before it actually kind of came out. It was weird. And it was like, I sat through it looking at all the food, being really hungry the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I watched the movie Marie Antoinette. Ooh, the food in that was great. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, no, you're not going to watch Good Time and kind of want anything that's on screen. It's pretty it's horrific. Oh, not even. like You can't really recognise him all that much in, in the trailer, and he does look quite... Uh... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was going to go with Homeless Bum, but yeah. Yeah. But he's so great, like... I think, I think he went method. <laughs> oh, God. Good Time is in cinemas now, and check out my full review at maketheswitch.com.au. Also out today is Tom of Finland, a biopic about one of the great gay icons of the 20th century. Brent, check this one out. So, did this film stimulate you? Ooh, Charlie, we've set the bar so high already. How are we going to go from here? (laughs) Down, down, down. As we've discussed, Tom of Finland is a biopic that follows the story behind the iconic gay art series bearing the same name. I'm very bad at pronouncing Finnish, and it is actually literally the hardest language to learn in the world. But here we go. Tuko Larksonen, excuse me, I probably pronounced that wrong, the artist behind Tom, and sort of Tom himself, returns from World War II a decorated hero, but his proclivities are not welcome in peacetime Finland. There's pressure to marry women, and persecution leads to his liberation through his art. 
That art, if you are not aware, is extremely homoerotic drawings of muscular, often leather-clad men, free of inhibitions and society. So, raging erections all around. (laughs) The impact of this art is actually still seen and felt today. As far as biopics go, this is a solid one. (laughs) Erection jokes aside, I'm so sorry. Walked right into it. It it is well directed by Dome (laughs) Karuk. Koski, I'm sorry, Dome, or Dome, or however you pronounce your name, and faithfully acted by the entire cast. In terms of widespread appeal, I'm not sure it will go too far beyond its target demographic, but as an insight into the man behind the muscles, it is a fascinating look at the life and times of Tom of Finland. I'm giving it three and a half stars. So on a serious note, which will be a first for this episode, but... Tom of Finland is actually the film that Finland is submitting to the Oscars for Best Foreign Film. There's quite a few really interesting submissions this year for the category, uh, of which there are 92 in total. It includes The Square from Sweden, Angelina Jolie's They Killed My Father is there for Cambodia, uh, Singapore has Popeye, Poland's got Spore, there's The Wound from South Africa... I think France has BPM. Uh, France does have BPM, and there's also Happy End from Austria and Newton from India. There's some really interesting films in there, and it's really good that Tom of Finland is also in the running, because it sounds like a really interesting and, and fairly important kind of story. I mean, when you see the pictures that he's drawn, you'll definitely know and recognise them. Especially because it feels like today, especially, there's so much of gay aesthetic that is based off this stuff. Like, I think it was one of the first turns back to this masculine ideal, I would say. So he would draw lots of sort of like people in the army, people wearing leather, people in harnesses, lots of muscles. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm looking at images now. It looks like concept art for the village people. Kind of, yeah. (laughs) It kind of is, except with like huge erections and people having intense gay sex. Um, So the village people. Village people. So the village village people. people. Mm. Basically. Um, But... It's that sort of thing, like, it really sort of defined a whole movement. And for me, especially with biopics, my favourite bit is always the bit at the end where they're like, this is actually what they look like. Here you are, here's some archival footage. <laughs> and there was only, like, one photo, and I was, I thought to myself, surely they had more. They, he was living in San Francisco by the end, drawing all of his friends at his seemingly orgy palace, and surely they had more photos and more... Of that sort of stuff. No, because it was evidence. Maybe not that they could show. <laughs> oh, they showed a lot in this film. It's not X-rated, but they definitely do show a lot. It, it's really good. I really enjoyed it. And you can find my full review at maketheswitch.com.au and Tom of Finland is in cinemas now. Also out today is Blue, a documentary detailing the state of our planet. Jake caught this one and filed this report for us. The ocean has long occupied a special place in this country's identity. And Blue, directed by Karina Holden, arrives at a time when Australia is making critical decisions which will decide the environmental legacy we leave for our children. Filmed over two years in Indonesia, the Philippines, Hawaii and Australia, this feature documentary outlines the hugely negative impact that human activity is having on the world's oceans and the consequences that await if it continues. No matter where you live on our planet, you're connected to the sea. lifetime, half of all marine life has disappeared. 
This is a hidden crisis falling on silent shores. The documentary follows the stories of seven passionate activists and scientists, or ocean guardians, including shark advocate Valerie Taylor, plastic campaigner Tim Silverwood, a marine ecotoxicologist Jennifer Lavins, and sea ranger Philip Mango. The marine world that I knew 40, 50 years ago, no young person today will ever see it. The barrier reef has changed dramatically over the years. They're now one of the most threatened animals on Earth. There it goes. There it goes. The ocean has done so much for us. Now there's an opportunity to do something meaningful for the ocean. To offer it our protection. Blue blends traditional documentary with beautifully shot cinematography and an atmospheric soundscape. Through a mix of scientific essay, investigative journalism, and arresting imagery, Holden gives the audience an opportunity to see how they can participate to save our oceans. This is an insightful and sobering film that will leave you with plenty to ponder by its end. Four stars. Blue is in cinemas now, and check out Jake's full review at maketheswitch.com.au. Also out today is The Only Living Boy in New York, the latest film from Gifted and the Amazing Spider-Man director Mark Webb. This time around, he has a coming-of-age film about Thomas, played by Callum Turner, whose life is turned upside down when he discovers his father, Pierce Brosnan, is having an affair with Joanna, played by Kate Beckinsale. Yet things get messy when Thomas and Joanna also start a sexual relationship. What's my father doing here? Who's he with? I don't know. It's about my mother. That's her. The other woman. Excuse me, you don't know who I am. Yes, I do. You do? You're the boy who follows me. You're also Ethan's son. You think you're gonna steal him away from my mother? And get any man you want in this city. Could I get you? What? She's not like anyone I've ever met. People do things all the time without realizing. Yeah, what am I doing? You're trying to make love to me. I'm trying to make love to you. Who are you? What kind of a question is that? She's a beautiful woman. She's sleeping with my father. You're being really obvious. You're an innocent, Thomas. And you've got no idea how the world works. I know some things. Like what? With Jeff Bridges as Thomas's wise neighbor and Cynthia Nixon as Thomas's mum, the only living boy in New York, unfortunately, doesn't seem to have the heartwarming joy of Webb's previous hit, 500 Days of Summer, with just 30% freshness on Rotten Tomatoes. Jeez, Mark Webb just can't cop a break. I mean, he really hasn't done very much with himself since 500 Days of Summer, has he? Um, some pretty average Spider-Man movies and... Uh, I like the amazing Spider-Man movies. Look, I don't mind them, but I mean, it's certainly nothing career-defining, is no. it? It's okay, nothing well. terribly special. One thing I was really interested to find out about this film was that uh, originally Miles Teller was actually cast as uh, as the main character Thomas. I think that would have been a very different film if, if that had have actually been the case. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, when noted douchebag Miles Teller is backing <laughs> out of your film, like, that's probably saying something. Warning bells? <laughs> The other warning bells were that the film was written by Alan Loeb, and uh, the name may not be familiar to you, but he's the man who penned Collateral Beauty and The Space Between Us, neither of which received particularly glowing reviews when they were released. And I know. I, I'm pretty sure I reviewed Collateral Beauty and I described it as one of like the worst films ever. Mm. So that's the kind of penmanship you've got here. It's certainly not like the content he was working with for 500 Days of Summer, that's for sure. No. I really like the title of the film. 
<laughs> That's like the only thing it has going for it. Seriously. What the hell does it mean? Even the title is like narcissistic and turgid. Well, it's it's actually is it, is a, it song. a song lyric. It's it's, oh. it's a song. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Oh yeah, isn't it? A, is it a Paul Simon song? It is Paul Simon. Yeah. Oh yeah, because I remember. Okay, the most interesting thing about this film is that it sparked a like Twitter convo between Edgar Wright and like The Rock and Ryan Johnson, creating this cinematic universe of Paul Simon songs after this and Baby Driver came out in the same year. Both of the same caliber, yes. Exactly. Speaking of films of questionable caliber, also out today is The Foreigner. Here, Jackie Chan plays a loving father, Quan, who loses his daughter in a terror attack. He also turns out to be the world's greatest super soldier, and so inconsolable and irate, he takes his anger out on anyone who comes his way, whether or not they had anything to do with his daughter's death or not. Hello? Mr. Hennessy, he's here again. That's five days in a row now. What does he want? His daughter was killed in the bombing. Mr. Hennessy, please find out the names of the bombers. I work for the government, not terrorists. You used to work for them. I don't know who the bombers are. I don't believe in you. It's him. You would tell me the names of the bombers. Kill me on Tuesday. He's trained. Bury me on Wednesday. Maybe special forces. More for me Thursday. Stop! She's wearing the blue! Then you gotta let me go. He just wants you to know he can get to you. What is going on? He thinks I know who blew up his daughter. Do you? This film actually starts well, setting itself up as an enjoyable thriller, and we actually get to see some real emotion from Chan. But that all gets thrown out the window when he meets Liam Hennessy, played by Pierce Brosnan, because you can never have enough Pierce Brosnan in one podcast. Woo! No! Quan irrationally focuses his target on Hennessy and chooses to fight terrorism with terrorism to uncover who was behind the bombing. The Foreigner is a little bit like if Liam Neeson and Jackie Chan's filmographies had a baby, and then Liam Neeson walked out because it was way too much for even him to deal with. He doesn't know if it wants to be a deep thriller or a full-on action film, and so rather than choosing one, it just flops around like a wet fish on the floor. The film was also adapted from a 1992 book by Stephen Leather called The Chinaman, which seems an out-of-date term to use even in the 90s. And while the film's title may have gotten an overhaul, the number of times that Jackie Chan's character is referred to this way is just inexcusable. This is bearable as a piece of forgettable entertainment, and that is all. I'm afraid I can only muster two and a half stars. Pierce Brosnan. Seemingly he'll do anything these days. Two films on this podcast, upcoming Mamma Mia sequel. God. Jesus. When was the last time Pierce Brosnan made a good film, honestly? Goldeneye. The Ghost Thomas Rider? Goldeneye. Thomas Crown That's Affair. the best you can do. Thomas Crown. Okay, I'll give you Thomas Crown Affair. But that mm. was like 15 years ago. Ghost yeah. Rider was really good. And he was surprisingly good in it. Really good. But more importantly, when was the last time Jackie Chan made a good film? <sighs> when was the last time Jackie Chan made a bad film? Okay, don't you talk smack about Jackie Chan. He's the best. He mm. he is a national treasure. Yes. Oh. <laughs> okay, that I... just makes no sense in so many ways. <laughs> but also, he made The Foreigner, and that is out now. And that is a really bad film. No, I don't believe you. I love Jackie Chan. He you also made one. Rush Hour 3. Did you see that thing on YouTube where he um he met his old crew from back in the day and then they were all crying on stage? It was beautiful. Google that. Like, Google, like, Jackie Chan meets old crew from Bruce Lee days and 
It's it's really sweet. Okay, just to be it's clear, you know that Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee are two different people, right? Yes, okay, but but they were in films together. Were they? When Jackie Chan was very young. Were they? Like very young. Oh. Yeah. That so much. Oh my god, I'm googling it right now. <laughs> okay, honey, you Google the shit out of it. Jackie Chan, Bruce. Lee. Oh yeah, he had an early role in Enter the Dragon. <laughs> yeah, so suck on that, <laughs> Smeggy dear. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. <gasps> yeah, he worked as a stuntman in Bruce Lee movies, and apparently in one of them, Bruce accidentally like hit him quite hard, and then Jackie was like, "No, nah, it's okay, I'm cool." <laughs> You are such a born storyteller, Brent. I think the fact that he was co-starring alongside Bruce Lee says a lot about Jackie Chan's age. Um, I honestly think it is absolutely inconceivable that a man who is 63 years old, even if he is the greatest trained super soldier from the Vietnam War, uh, can take down 20 guys. It's just absolutely unbelievable what he does in this film. It just is completely illogical and unbelievable. Sounds like fun. because yeah, it's a movie. Yeah, I know, right? We loved it in Taken. Why can't we love it now in the Sounds the, like the something foreign I get a little bit drunk and enjoy. Did we love it in Taken? <laughs> it is actually remarkably a lot like Taken. Um, I, especially when you get to the end, you're like, oh, okay. Uh, it, it, oh, my God, does Holly Valance show, show up? No. Holly Valance is in Taken? Hold yes. on, I've never seen Taken. Sorry. Holly Valance is in Taken. <laughs> Legit, she plays a pop singer in Taken that like Liam Neeson has to bodyguard or whatever. Oh, my God. And then it turns into Whitney Houston's The Bodyguard. <gasps> no. <laughs> okay, but how many Holly Valances does the foreigner get? Mm, that's two out of five Holly Valances. That's two out of five. Kiss, kiss. <laughs> you know that we can go far. <laughs> she's not even Holly Valance anymore. She's Holly Candy. <gasps> what? Oh, oh that's even She married a billionaire with the last name Candy. I know, and now she sounds even poorer than she was that's before. <gasps> <laughs> well, you can find my full review for The Foreigner at makethe-switch.com.au and catch it in cinemas now if you dare. Also out today is What If It Works, the new Aussie film that takes a look at OCD. Jess, check this one out. So, does it work? It does not. Adrian is a friendly tech nerd who likes fast cars and things to be clean. Very clean. 50 times clean. Grace is an emerging street artist with disassociative identity disorder. She plays host to a total of 10 alters, shy, frigid Grace and sexually aggressive G being the most dominant. Adrian has just moved across the street from Grace and the pair share chemistry as well as a therapist. And while a woman who hates to be touched and a guy that hates touching might seem like a bizarrely ideal matchup, the two become unlikely friends and maybe, just maybe, they turn out to be the best medicine money can't buy. I know you're probably surprised to see me here. It's fascinating. <laughs> As if. <laughs> you don't like her, do you? Go on, admit it. You hate me. Where were you? Are you drunk? I'm not cut out for the whole falling in love thing. Well, the idea of exchanging body fluids with someone, it just, it just, it seems impossible. When you stop measuring and calculating and just live, then you can love. 
love, you have to be spontaneous. And one simple act of spontaneity, it can change everything. Written and directed by Romy Trawa, she's based the film on her own personal experiences, having a brother with severe OCD, and both her mother and aunt work in the field of mental health. Look, I don't have any experience with these things, nor do I claim to, but there was something about this film that just didn't seem quite right to me. For example, we're told Adrian has just OCD, yet he presents with mild Tourette's syndrome and sits somewhere on the spectrum as well. In one scene, instead of giving a homeless man money, he enters a supermarket and comes out with four kilos of almonds, then proceeds to chase the man down the street in an effort to give it to him. I'm not sure why anyone with obsessive cleanliness believes that this is reasonable way to behave, but there you go. As standalones, Adrian and Grace are endearing and quite beautiful to watch, but within the film's narrative they're forced into is where it becomes a bit messy. A lot of the secondary characters are superfluous and confusing. Trower needs to stick to the basics and allow her main characters enough room to grow. Luke Ford and Anna Sampson as Adrian and Grace turn in heartwarming performances and deserve most of the credit, but as a whole, what if it works is just sweet and nothing more. Only two stars from me. So I went to high school with Anna. Um, She was in my ancient history and I think English Extension 1 class. Um, So I'm definitely interested in seeing it. I mean, I always knew she was destined for this kind of life and career. And yeah, I mean, she's done a couple of shows at Melbourne Theatre Company. And I'm surprised we haven't seen her in more leading roles in uh, in feature films because I feel like that is her destiny. Yeah, I'm like low-key a fan of Anna Sampson. I've seen her in a couple of those shows and she's really good. She is really good. She was that good in high school, if you can imagine it. Like, kind of scary. You can't imagine her not being an actress, basically. She's an actress through and through. And uh, Brett, I'm sure you're a big fan of Luke Ford, seeing that he was in one of the Mummy films. <laughs> Oh my god, I knew I recognised him from somewhere. Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Fuck, he plays the sun, doesn't he? He does play the sun. Wow. Oh my god. I definitely need to see this film now, both for the high school connection and the mummy connection. So it's got everything. It's got a lot of a, a lot of things going for it. Yeah. This is not the first time Luke Ford's played someone with um, a mental illness. He was also in the Black Balloon, and he was really good. That was probably oh, yeah. one of his um, his standout performances that sort of launched. Oh, it. I didn't see that. And yeah, so he's got he's definitely got um a knack for the for the quirky and he's a very talented guy i'm surprised that he hasn't his career isn't bigger than it currently is but that said these these guys what they're still very young these careers can take time jeffrey rush didn't start being cast in films until he was what in his late 30s early 40s so your age brent same with harrison ford (laughs) shut up no (laughs) so what you're saying is emma samson must be in her early 40s if she's similarly aged to you, she, Brent? She's not. She's in her late 20s like I am, I would assume. I mean, Brent, don't be ridiculous. We all know Brent is emotionally aged at about 12 years old, so. I get so emotional, baby. <laughs> oh, wow. What if it works Just as in cinemas now? <laughs> Check out my full review at makethesweets.com.au. Yes, Brent, I'm cutting you off. And there are rose petals falling everywhere. <laughs> Also out this Saturday is National Theatre Live's production of Yerma. In an award-winning performance, Billy Piper stars as a young woman driven to the unthinkable by her desperate desire to have a child. Plenty of room. For what? A children's bedroom. <laughs> 
used to have a life. Now we have each other. The insidious, venomous slither of life. I want to have a child. With you. Everything's okay! Australian director Simon Stone presents a radical production, which sold out at the Young Vic in London, so don't miss it. I have a story about Billy Piper. Oh, God. So when I was... Thanks for your support, everyone. I had um, 100% hits, Best of 2000, and on that was a Billy Piper song called Something Deep Inside. And as a 10-year-old, I used to take my boombox into the shower and put that song on repeat and sing it over and over and over again. What were you really doing in the shower? Singing Billy Piper, honestly. (laughs) And uh, then I, like, re-listened to that song, maybe, like, two to three years ago, I guess, and it is so dirty. I can only imagine what my parents must have thought of me being like, "Ah." Uh, the lyrics with, like, the actual lyrics being like, I've never been this satisfied with something deep inside. Oh, my God. Brent. I sound like I'm fucking Kate Winslet on a mountain. Brent, you're not special. The generation before you, i.e. me and my kind, were singing to the Divinals' I Touch Myself long before Billy Piper and her whatever song it was. Something deep inside. There we go. So we were touching ourselves. Something deep inside. My little sister, my little six-year-old sister, knew all the words to um, S and M by Rihanna when she was six. That was gross. <laughs> what are all the kids that used to sing? Um, you know that milkshake song, my milkshake. Oh yeah, that was me. Singing. That was my generation. Like all the little kids didn't know what that was about. I was like in. I think I was thirty by the time I figured out what that song was about. Milkshakes all seem like fun and games until you. <laughs> Realise it's sexual connotation. Until you fall into that booby trap. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now let's check out some upcoming films in our trailer wrap. Here's Roman J. Israel Esquire starring Denzel Washington. Voluntary manslaughter. It's a good deal. It's an enema of sunshine. Sorry for taking a nanosecond off of your assembly line rubber stamp existence. Hello? This law firm has run a deficit for years. You're firing me? You were the cornerstone of activism. You're inspiring. I'm tired of doing the impossible for the ungrateful. And you gotta make a living. Take care of yourself. I am. I know where CJ's hold up. What's that worth? What? Don't tell nobody. Everything we discuss will be confidential. The man who did it, I know where he is. I want the reward, cash. You knew where I was. God. I got you. Anytime I want. God. These are dangerous people. This film had me until uh, it became a bit more of a gangster mobster movie. I was really up there for like a civ- quirky civil rights lawyer and then... Then it goes really weird. It just degenerated after that. Yeah. yeah I, it, I honestly can't tell what this movie is about. <laughs> I got no fucking idea and it made so much sense for the first 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, I have faith. I'm so down for this movie. I loved Nightcrawler and so I'm just really excited for anything that Dan Gilroy <gasps> has oh up God, next. was Nightcrawler. Yeah, that's the only thing that's really hooking me is um is the Nightcrawler affiliation. 
Okay, yes. Can we also talk about the terrible title of this movie? No one will remember oh, yeah. Roman J. Israel Esquire. They'll just refer to it as the Denzel Washington film. That Denzel Washington lawyer film. Lawyer turned gangster question mark. That new Denzel Washington <laughs> film. It was named something else for a while, wasn't it? Oh, it used to be called Inner City. Well, they're both terrible titles. Yeah. I mean, that's com- that's a completely forgettable name as well, so... What if they renamed it, like... No. No, I've got, no- I've got nothing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought I had something. But then, thinking it in my head, I was like, mm, that could probably be really perceived as awful, so I'm not going to say it out loud. Dumb name. Move on. Okay. What else we got? Dumb name. Interesting looking film. All right, now let's take a look at the first trailer for, speaking of dumb films, Pacific Rim Uprising. We were born into a world at war. Between the monsters that destroyed our cities and the monsters we created to stop them. We thought we had sacrificed enough. But the war we thought we finished is just beginning. And the only thing standing in front of the apocalypse is us. But it doesn't matter where you came from, who believed in you and who didn't. This is our time, this is our chance to make a difference. Let's get it done. That's what I'm talking about. So dumb. No, why is there a second one? The first one was so bad. I do not know. It didn't make a lot of money, considering the budget of the first film was almost $200 million, and it only made a little over 400 worldwide. This one actually has a smaller budget, and I'm guessing they're hoping to make the same or more. It's so bad. And I yeah, find but it's it- not how big it is. It's how you use it. <laughs> Thank you, Brand. But I, I find it offensive that one of the stars of this film is John Boyega. He was given a gift with the Star Wars films, and you're supposed to parlay that attention and that notoriety into a better career outside that franchise, and he's turned it to Pacific Rim Uprising. You've got to be kidding me. Pacific Rim Uprising does look a lot like the last Power Rangers movie. Yeah, it looks oh, like Transformers yeah. and Power Rangers had a baby and threw some aliens in there, like Godzilla or whatever. Oh my god, but I just thought of Trans Rangers and I would definitely <laughs> see that film. I, if there was a movie that came out called Trans Rangers, I don't think it's oh about what you think it's about. Regardless, I would see it. Oh my god, it sounds like everything I want. It sounds about like about transsexual like parking rangers or something. No, 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 no. Trans rangers. I, I imagine it being like being like just like Power Rangers, except like it's transsexuals, but everyone can also transform into things. Yeah, transgender. It's just very fluid. Genders. No, but like it's not even genders. It's everything. <laughs> everything is fluid, and they're safe in the world. So I could be Fuck. a dog or an alien or a piece of toast. Sure. Like getting stuck on a mountain with Idris Elba. Everything is fluid. (laughs) 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 Oh my god. Everything is fluid. Oh my god. Speaking of, this actually, Pacific Rim always reminds me of my favorite German word that I got taught while I was in Kiev. No, no, no. Um, Is this appropriate? (laughs) It is so appropriate. You want to hear it. I know you want to hear it. The, The German word is 
Arschlecken. And it means exactly <laughs> what you think it means. I can't wait for the third film, Pacific Rim 3. Arschlecken. It'll <laughs> <laughs> be so good. Womp, there it is. Make more money than Pacific Rim Uprising. If you got Charlie Hannum in it again, doing some Arschlecken, I'm sure it would make some money. And Idris Elba. Yeah, mm. after Charlie Hannum's last film bombed, he might be willing to do Pacific Rim 3 Arschlecken. Arschlecken. Lecken. Lecken Arsh. Arschlecken. You could say that it would really take Charlie Hannum's career bottoming out in order for this to happen. Oh. Oh my god. Well, but I mean, as if as if Pacific Rim Uprising isn't a bad gay film anyway. Right? <laughs> it really does sound like something. Yeah. Oh my god. Do you think that's actually intentional? Like, is it meant to be a bad pun? They kept the word rim in the title. Come on, <laughs> they have to know. There was no stage at the development where someone was like, maybe we should not say the word rim. <laughs> Now, let's add the word uprising on the end, because... Oh yeah, Pacific Rim resurgence. <laughs> Pacific Rim, give me 20 minutes and we can go round two. Pacific Rim, second win. <laughs> well, if you still dare, Pacific Rim Uprising is in Australian cinemas from the 22nd of March, 2018. And finally, let's take a look at The Babysitter. My babysitter is trying to kill me. But the attacker's in the house. The downstairs having a blast. Alrighty, babes, let's head upstairs and get the blood of the innocent. This would go viral. I mean, nobody's done human sacrifice. People have always done human sacrifice. Yeah, but like, not in America with hot people. Hey. when you make a deal with the devil. Why is he shirtless? That's your first question? There's only one way to end this So when this trailer started, I thought it was going somewhere very different to where it ended up. Um, it got very messy and very dark very quickly, but um, I love that dark kind of comedy and it just seems like a completely ridiculous brand of it. So um, I'm in. I'm, I'm watching this. Plus shirtless Robbie Amell. That's literally Whee! what I was going to oh. say. Is, yeah. Yay. Wait, is he related to Stephen Amel? Yes. They're cousins. Yes, the gene pool is tight over there. As well as a couple other <laughs> things. So are those genes? Yeah. Plus it's also oh. got Bella Thorne in it and Robbie Amel and Bella Thorne were in The Duff together and I absolutely love that movie. So reunion. Oh, that's where I know him from. Yes. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. The, yeah. the hot guy from The Duff. Yeah. The I should also point out that this movie is directed by McGee, and yes, oh. he hasn't done given us anything noteworthy of the last couple of years, but I will always love him because he gave us the Charlie's Angels movie. Like, yeah, oh. but yeah, speaking of noted douches, like, come on. And also Supernatural. He also gave us the OC. Yeah. Come on, people. Lay off. <laughs> 
He also gave us Terminator <laughs> Salvation. But no one can make the Terminator movies work except for James Cameron anyway. Many have tried, many have failed. I don't think he's to blame. Yeah. I do like the writer on this, Brian Duffield, who I actually follow on Twitter and have for a while. Um, the only other script he's had produced, I'm pretty sure, was that Natalie Portman movie, Jane Got a Gun, which kind of died. Oh, which didn't no. get an Australian release, yeah. But I was yeah, actually really keen to see it. Yeah, it was one of those ones with huge production was Like, the director walked out the day before it started mm. shooting, and then someone else came in and saved the day, and then it just limped towards a release. So I'm actually really excited that he's got a movie coming out. I like the way that it's one of those films that someone's, like, clearly gone, let's make this. And I think Netflix is the perfect, perfect platform for it, because I can't see anyone sort of trusting it, a film like this on a theatrical release, but I can definitely see it working on a streaming sort of downloady thing. It's a guilty pleasure. It's got gore, it's got comedy, it's got hot guys, it's got... It has that feeling of Cabin in the Woods as well. That sort of self-awareness. Mm. Mm, a little bit referential. It mm. kind of reminds me of also um, the movie Jennifer's Body, if anyone's seen that. It was um, written by Diablo Cody. Yeah, the Megan Gino. Fox one. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that. Well, if you are keen, you can check out The Babysitter on Netflix from tomorrow. And to catch all these trailers and more, head to youtube.com forward slash make the switch AU. The next time that we hear and the Oscar goes too, it could be going to a Netflix film for the very first time. It seems the streaming service is making its first serious push to be in the running for best film. While the move might have some Hollywood studios concerned, it's more than just an award for Netflix. It's validation that its work is as good as any other, but does it deserve to compete for this illustrious award? Well, that's the big question. Um, and the answer is uh, just... Deadline did a really interesting article uh, a short while ago about this exact topic, uh, and this is a quote from the article. Some members challenge whether a Netflix movie that, quote, buys slots in theatres for only one week should be allowed to compete with conventional releases. So what they're basically saying is, are Netflix just doing theatrical releases so that they can get into the Oscars, uh, which is a, probably a bit of a contentious issue. And you can see why studios that put a lot of money into these films and, and uh, in distributing these films would be somewhat up in arms about it. Having said that, there are some interesting films that Netflix have put together for the last 12 months that, that legitimately could be in the running. I don't understand why it should matter how someone is seeing a movie. When the when the, the standard of these productions, budget-wise, production-wise, and calibre of the people not only behind the scenes but in front of the camera are just as good, if not better, than the ones we're seeing in a cinema, why can't these films be taken seriously on an awards level? It's because old white men are scared about their position in the world. <laughs> why should it matter whether you saw it on a big screen or a small screen, especially since... This is the way that the world works now. People, This is how people watch films. They either download it or they stream it or they rent it from um, iTunes or it's on video on demand or what have you. So I don't understand this theatrical business. Well, look, whatever your opinion on it, it's these are the rules of the Oscars, you know. So unless they change, um, that is the way it goes. So Maybe the Academy Award for Best Streaming Film. No, see, that's dumb. Just make it film. Yeah. I feel like a Netflix title could have more freedom than a conventional theatrically released film. There's a lot less riding on it, maybe. But also financially, when you don't have to push money into 
print and advertising. Yeah, you just do an email blast and everyone's <laughs> like, oh, there's a new film, better, better yeah, watch that. It's more appealing for producers and studios and what have you to and to invest in when you're not wasting money on well, like flyers we, and This is ads. just like wine, just like wine. What? So everybody... <laughs> In, in the Please old explain. days. Yeah, I'm getting there. So wine used to always have corks. Now wine has screw tops. But from a winemaking investor perspective, screw tops are a safer investment because the amount of bottles that would get spoiled by corks going off in them was huge compared to now the almost risk-free screw tops. It's like, it's the I same thing. That's an exact same thing. <laughs> I can't totally the same. For one, for one, one is yeah. one is actually one is quantifiably better. Whereas a film made for cinema or a film made for TV, one is not quantifiably better than the other. But I don't think films are made for cinema or for TV. They're just made, and then the distribution is usually up to a. But the interesting thing is, sometimes. like, how to differentiate between those two things? Because take, for instance, Ava DuVernay's Thirteenth, which was nominated for Best Documentary at the Oscars last year and it's an incredible film full stop but it was also nominated for the emmy for best documentary so i think the issue is more just how to how to differentiate those two mediums and which films or tv films or tv shows should qualify for which award ceremony yeah i guess with netflix you are kind of starting to blur the yeah. lines between tv and film so it does make it a little bit difficult you've got to make sure that there are those rules in place that you can clarify what a film actually is and i guess the for them it's something that appears in a cinema well but it sounds like they have rules in place and it sounds like netflix have been really clever about it and gone well if we need to do this this and this we'll do the bare minimum and qualify for all the rules which is interesting because that's been something that has been done for years and years like for such a long time studios would release smaller films that they wanted to push in one or two categories in like the last week of december in two cinemas in america just to make sure that it could qualify for the oscars and then kind of usher it out and that's been such an okay practice for so many years now they're like suddenly a problem it's very odd i think one of the interesting points that was brought up in the article that we're basing this discussion on is that they they pointed out that academy voters they don't watch these films in a cinema they watch them in the on in the comfort of their own home on a couch using a dvd screener TVs are not small anymore. They're not obviously they're not cinema sized, but they're they're not small I anymore. And I just don't. I really don't think it matters how you see a film. The caliber and the production value is still there, no matter the size of the screen. I think the other interesting thing that I was reading about is not so much about the categorization issue, but more just whether something can pick up enough buzz and momentum in order to get nominated for the Oscars and even win some, is that because Netflix doesn't actually release any of its data about how successful or popular any of its shows or movies are, it's hard Mm. for a film released on Netflix to actually build up and sustain buzz. Because in order for something to seem like an actual Oscar threat, like one of those big films that's going to get nominated, it needs to have some sort of success behind it. But you never really... No, it yeah, doesn't. it's in the trending now section. I'm sorry, but do you think, do you honestly think that Moonlight 
was a top ten film when it won when it no, took out Moonlight best picture did, earlier like, this year. Better for itself than no, it no, it was a, it was a financial bomb. No, no, but Oscar Oscar films Oscar like um even actors' performances in the films themselves they 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 get the buzz based on campaigns launched by studios and distributors. Has nothing to do with public perception. No, but in order for all. those campaigns to have some legitimacy behind them, it needs to feel like the film is actually catching on in some way. No, I don't believe that at all. Well, Moonlight grossed almost thirty million dollars in the states on like a tiny budget, a budget of four million dollars, and then o- almost forty million dollars for a world like worldwide. So Moonlight actually did quite well for itself for, as a tiny film. But how much of that money was made before the Oscars? And how much was made after the Oscars? I'd wager that the bulk of its of its ta- box office take was made after it won, not before. I don't know. I mean, it came out in October, and it th- and it was like a very solidly playing film for the months leading up to the Oscars as well, when it had huge buzz behind it. Because these films really start their their life um, on the on the whole circuit uh, back in the in the film festivals. And that's where they pick up that initial buzz. And while Netflix does have some film screenings at film festivals, which all seem to get booed for some reason, uh, it's it's not quite the same in the way that a traditional release would be. It doesn't necessarily go from film festival to a small release to a larger release and then pick up traction that way. It's it do, certainly does have a very enclosed environment in which it's in which it's built. As Chris says, there's no way for anyone who's outside of Netflix to know exactly how well a film is doing. You know, literally, they're the only ones who can gauge. How and by their success standards, is. all those Tara Reid movies are doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Adam Sandler is a huge Oscar. Oh, oh, yeah. Although, actually, he kind of is, because oh he's Can in one of the films <laughs> that comes out. One of the titles is The Meyerowitz Stories, New and Selected, and that's Adam Sandler. So Who is getting good Jesus. reviews? Look at Academy Awards. The other films which come to mind from Netflix are Okja, which we saw a little bit earlier this year and had a had a lot of buzz around it. Um, it got a screening at the Sydney Film Festival, amongst other film festivals, before it got released on Netflix. We also have First They Killed My Father, which is Angelina Jolie's directorial piece about a uh, Cambodian story. There's also The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson, though I think that would technically fall the into documentary many documentary categories. Wouldn't, wouldn't be a film. So there's a few possibilities for films that might get a look in at the mm. Oscars, but I think it's now it's now an issue of quality over uh, eligibility. It's it's all about are these films good enough to go up to some of the films we were talking about in last week's episode? Are they are they good enough to to go up against the Florida Project or um, through billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, or Dunkirk? You know, those kind of films or Dunkirk, yeah. Which, by the sound of it, I don't think they really are. I kind of don't really see this lineup as going particularly see, I, far. I don't either. Um, apart from First They Killed My Father, which has been submitted, I think, by Cambodia as their foreign language film submission. Oh, actually, you are correct. It was one of those uh, foreign language films. But I think something like Okja could win uh, a best original screenplay, something like that. Mm, or even a visual effects. But I think it also showcases what Netflix is capable of and just and that it's just going to get better and better and better. So it might not be eligible or worthy, I should say, worthy this year or maybe even next year. But down the track, the rules are going to have mm. to change and the products are just going to get better. Same like it worked with television. 
Netflix, you know, the Emmys and Golden Globes or whatever rejected Netflix and all that for their shows. And now it's one of the most nominated networks ever with stuff like House of Lies and um, Orange is the New Black House and what have Lies. you. House of Lies. House of Is that cards. like a crossover, big, big Little Lies, House of Cards? I would watch that. What the fuck did I say? House of Lies. House of Cards. Damn it. Well, I guess only time will tell if we will see any of the Netflix films in the running for the Oscars. Uh, it's a couple more months until we find out that. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, they're definitely worth checking out. We have some great giveaways up for grabs this week. First up, we have 10 Dendi Direct gift cards to give away. Catch the latest films like Spider-Man Homecoming, The Beguiled, My Cousin Rachel, and Wonder Woman, or catch up on classics like Black Swan, The King and I, Braveheart, and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. We also have five copies of the 32-disc Blue Healers Collection 3 up for grabs on DVD. For a small country town, Mount Thomas has an above-average crime rate, There's endless work for the local police force, keeping the young officers on their toes, who are forced to live and work by the values of the bush. We're also giving away five copies of Chicago PD Season 4 this week. When mysterious crimes and murders plague the city of Chicago, the police department's intelligence unit is given the task of uncovering disturbing secrets the city holds. For your chance to win this and all our giveaways, head to maketheswitch.com.au forward slash comps now. Now, before we go, we'd like to offer some cinematic inspiration with each of us suggesting one film that you should see this week and why. Uh, For me this week, I'm actually going to go for a film that I saw at the 2013 Sydney Film Festival. It is a beautiful coming-of-age film. It's comedic. It's dramatic. Uh, It is the way, way back. It's... An adventure of a 14-year-old boy named Duncan who goes off on a vacation with his uh, mother, who's played by Tony Collette, uh, her overbearing boyfriend, who is played by Steve Carell. And while his family are all relaxing and, and doing their own thing, he goes off and finds a water park, which is run by Sam Rockwell, uh, and basically gets a job there and has this whole separate life to his family, this team at the water park who become his family. Um, it's just this really lovely uh, film with a lot of heart. Fuck, Steve Carell plays an absolute asshole. Um, which is not easy for Steve Carell to do. <laughs> I know, it's, but you love to hate him. He very much plays the, the typical stepdad kind of character. Oh, yeah. But Tony Collette is also awesome as the mum. She's a bit timid, she's a bit shy, but she's like just glorious. And I love Sam Rockwell. I think he's like one of the quirkier people. But also it's got, it's got like people like uh, Maya Rudolph in it and it's got uh, uh, Alison Janney uh, who plays the next door neighbor. So there's like, there's lots of really quirky uh, people in this. And it's just one of those films that you'll end up like grinning ear to ear by the end of it. So for me this week, The Way Way Back. Right, Jess, how about you? Uh, I'm going to go popcorn again this week after last week's rousing success. Um, back in two, back in 2004, when the world was going gaga over the Da Vinci Code, Hollywood kind of thought we can do that, and why should Dan Brown get all the money? And there, they came up with yes, national yes. treasure. It is yes, <laughs> yeah. It was so good it even had a sequel, but you gotta you gotta go. Literally the, the only the reason my mum and I went to Philadelphia was to take a photo next to the Liberty <laughs> Bell because of national treasure. Yes. Oh, Jess, we're no longer feuding. This is great. That is like the worst holiday ever. <laughs> 
So this is one of the few good Nicolas Cage films where he mm. dared ask, is it okay to steal the Declaration of Independence? It has secret societies, buried treasure, intrigue, fighting, um, centuries-old mysteries about who killed Lincoln. The Illuminati part of you. it as well? The, yeah, the stonemasons oh, and the, what have you. The stonemasons, it's got Harvey Keitel in it, it's got Justin Barthor, it's got um, John Voight. Diane Kruger. It is really, it's fun, it's, um, it's actually quite smart, it's fun, it's a good adventure, it's fun. Justin Barthor is hilarious in it, and yeah, if you love that whole um, cloak and dagger, Da Vinci codes, figuring out the mystery, you know, that incorporates history and real life monuments and things like that, then you can't go past National Oh my god, Treasure. you can't. Even, yeah, we were in Philadelphia and at that Philadelphia, like, courthouse thing and my mum is going, oh, my God, that's the bit where he runs across the roof and finds the spectacles. And I was just like, oh, what are we doing here? Yes. And you learn a little something you do. too. You learn so much. Um, yeah. Like Ben Franklin invented daylight saving, Yay, which we're currently enjoying So that's here the real movie. reason to watch National Treasure. Yeah, Celebrate daylight savings by watching National Treasure. <laughs> <laughs> that said, daylight savings has really changed the way I'm feeling about every day at the moment. I used to have all that seasonal affective disorder and now it's just gone. <laughs> what a beautiful heart with one tail. Poof, it's gone. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, top that, Brent. Yeah, Brent, See, what have you got really for us this tough. week? It's so tough because everybody keeps expecting things of me and the pressure is getting to me. And we are super judgy, yeah. Oh my God, so judgy. <laughs> so judgy. If you've ever met so Charlie, you'd, you'd know. Um, <laughs> so I had it narrowed down to two films this week because I love this director. Um, the director is Mel Brooks and... Wow. Yeah, okay, this is going good. It's so hard. It's like Sophie's fucking choice between movies right Don't now. Don't make a Mitchell. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. It's just wait No, next but I can't day. do back-to-back Mel Brooks. Okay, no, I've chosen it. It's Robin Hood Men in Tights. I love this season. Yes! And <laughs> Tight, tight, tights. Basically, I used to rent it from the video store like every week. When it was that and the mask when I was about nine. Um, I love the mask, but it is a classic piss take on the resurgence of Robin Hood films in the mid 90s, but sort of like playing on the whole idea, very self aware, very Mel Brooks, very funny, lots of camp songs. Uh, it's just sort of everything that little me would have responded to and still does respond to. And guess what? It's on Netflix in Australia, so you can go and watch it yourself. Have have fun. It's that scene where she's in the bath and she's singing about someone coming in loving her and then the camera crashes through the window? Like, it's so funny. <laughs> I used to think that was the funniest bit. Oh, my God. No, I love Blinken. Blinken's the best. Oh, I love Latrine. Latrine. Oh. <laughs> hey, Abbott. Oh, hey, Abbott. I hate that guy. I've never seen it. <laughs> oh, you may get stoned. You've so never good. seen it? You I'm need a to child. watch it. And Tracy Ullman is the witch. It's, so good. 
it's like pretty homoerotic as well. So <laughs> no, Latrine. What did your name? What did your name used to? We changed it in the fifth century. Oh, used to be shit house. I love it. It's so good. And also, people always forget it's got Dave Chappelle in it. It does. He plays a chew. He plays a chew. Yeah, and he's awesome. a chew here. <laughs> So good. Oh, so many, so much wordplay. Arms in battle, but you grew some nice boobs. So quotable, infinitely quotable. Well, before those two start quoting the entire film, Chris, what is your suggestion for this week? So mine's actually quite on trend for this episode, weirdly enough, with all this talk of Netflix. Uh, oh, yeah. It's actually a recent, a very recent Netflix release. Um, and maybe the best Stephen King adaptation of the year. It's Gerald's Game. Ooh. Okay. I've been seeing a bit of this on Facebook. People have been really people have been watching it. Yeah, it's really good. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the broadest statement ever. People have been people watching, been watching it. Netflix. Fuck's <laughs> Um Gerald's Game stars Carla Gugino as a woman who agrees to let her husband yeah. handcuff her to a bed in their like holiday house to save their marriage and spice up their sex life but unfortunately he has a heart attack and then dies leaving her trapped with handcuffed to this bed and it becomes oh, this shit. like really intense horrific <laughs> hitchcockian suspense horror film like it's really good and it's not nearly as tawdry and kind of gross as it may sound it actually becomes quite uh meaningful it means a lot more than what it initially seems to although it does get a bit heavy-handed with that towards the end it looked like a netflixy shitty version of 50 shades of gray that's what the that's what the image looks like it's like 50 shades of gray if christian gray died right at the start <laughs> so it's like the best an infinitely more compelling film except even better because it has carla gugino who can actually act and my god she's so good in this film Seriously, this is such a good film. I had such a good time. It freaked me the fuck out, and I really regretted watching it at like and two a.m. It's directed by Mike Flanagan, yeah, too. Who's it totally directed by Mike Flanagan, who did Ouija: Origin mm, of Evil, it's really is... hot right now, yeah. horror wise. Um, so but yeah, the most is the thing that will kind of decide whether you're on board with this film or not is the ending. It's a bit. I don't know. I really went with it and I really loved how Stephen King it felt right at the end. Um, but I can see it really turning off a lot of viewers. So yeah, mm. Gerald's Game. Watch it. It's great. Well, there's some very diverse suggestions for you this week. And you can find the links to all the articles that we've talked about on this week's podcast at maketheswitch.com.au. Please subscribe to Switchcast on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform. And don't forget to rate us and stay in touch on Twitter. I'm at Charlie underscore David. Jess? I'm Miss Jess underscore switch. Brent? At Brent C. Davidson. That's the letter and not the body of water. And Chris? At Chris C. Edwards. Like it? Follow it. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Make the Switch AU to stay up to date with all the latest reviews, news, trailers, and giveaways. And you can find all the notes and links to everything we've discussed on this week's podcast, as well as other episodes, by visiting switchcast.com.au. On next week's show, I'll have my review for Reese Witherspoon's Home Again. Plus, we'll have our verdicts on The Snowman and what I'm quoting as the film of the year, Geostorm. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you all next week. 